If it ain't a hundred, it's a miscount. Seven days a week, I smoke six ounces. If a chick with me, she like big houses. If a chick with me, she like foreign cars. If a chick with me, she like go yard. If a chick with me, she like protein. Make a sick of rich nigga clothes off. Pull up to the flame with my doors off. Try to count a million and I dozed off. And I got my fingers in the air. Hanging with Paul Bear. All right, folks, we're back once again, live in Greenwood. Bonjour, Salome, and what's up? And welcome to le- level level 89 of How You Living. Not episode level 89, because where's my brain right now? Yeah, RIP creator of the Konami Code that finally got us to level 89. Yeah, I know, With those uh, 30 extra lives. Uh, we are here live in the Chaz Tower, in the Million Dollar Studios, the only podcast recorded there, live, with me and my friend Chaz. A simple program, and it starts in a simple way, where I just go, hey Chaz, how you living? You know what? I, I'm doing I'm doing good. It's been a while, you know, I, I'm back from Philadelphia. Um, the sending off of Miss uh, Elizabeth Bennett was amazing. It was good to see friends. Uh, she lived one a hell of a life, and there's a lot of things that I learned from her. Uh, I think I talked about that on the other podcast, but yeah, just the like, previous one. Yeah, that's right. I did. And, well, I and mean, so we're past it's, that. It's like a free callback, callback. Anyway, and, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, now we're into uh, officially the first day of March. Yeah, we're uh, a couple days away from uh, Super Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, we're just now coming off of uh, some interesting election news that we can get into in the episode. Yeah, yeah. But uh, outside of that, how was the uh, end of February for you there, Chaz? Uh, Yeah, pretty good. Um, Getting ready to travel to Chicago soon for some stuff. Um, So it's going to be a short week for me. Other than that, uh, I can't complain. How about you, Mikkel? Uh yeah, it's been good. Uh, I just watched my Timbers lose uh three to one in the MLS season opener to the Minnesota FC. Uh, so that was a little bit of a bummer, but you know it's a long season. It goes all the way through December, so uh, plenty of time to catch up on those points. Uh, good to see the Timbers back in action. And with that, we are starting the podcast with our seminal original. Uh, segment. The one that started on the second episode. A look back at things we've already talked about. A little segment called Callbacks. Callbacks. Yeah. And uh, in this callback episode, um, you know, callback to the uh, uh, changing landscape of our democratic uh, candidacy. Uh, it looks like we're... Uh, you know, coming down the home stretch, getting ready for Super Tuesday, and uh, yeah, we're 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 losing people. Tom Steyer is out. Yeah, the millionaire Tom Steyer came in third uh, in the uh, South Carolina primary that we just had uh, officially last night. I guess yeah would be uh, as of the recording of this podcast uh, a, a Saturday primary, which would be I, I wonder South Carolina. Well, no, because they have to vote on the same day as the federal vote on the Tuesday. But that's interesting that they choose to put their primary on a Saturday. Yeah, because Nevada did the same thing or sorry, Nevada did the same thing. To make to make it uh more convenient, I suppose, for people uh most people who would have a day off on that day. Yeah. I mean, there are like going into like the differences between primaries and caucuses. Uh people have still kind of critiqued caucuses as being a little bit too undemocratic. Um, because of like, you know, you have to be present there in order for your voice to be heard. And some people might not have the privilege to take enough time off to do so. So, cause I remember when we did it here in Washington for the 2016 races, it was on a weekend. Um, but now this time, cause it's a primary, we don't have to put our votes in until uh, March 10th. Right. So, okay. Oh yeah. So we're not actually in the, the super Tuesday line. We are not. We were Good one to know. week after. I was gonna I was gonna go ahead and turn my ballot in on Tuesday. But I mean I might as well anyway. I mean, yeah, I mean there is an argument to say that you should wait until this hue is gonna drop out in Super Tuesday to make sure your vote is counting for someone who's gonna get delegates that are gonna go to 
um, the convention. And kind of that leads into what I want my callback to be because I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I have some mixed feelings right now uh, because I've been hearing rumors that the DNC um, might – well, it's the whole thing about the fear of a contested convention. Contested convention. Um, And I still – I think maybe for the next episode because I still need to look into like the whole details of what happened in 1968 – yeah. Um, and that was the one where, like, you see videos from it, like, people were rioting, people were, like, you know, fucking each other up. Like, it was crazy. And. Yeah, shout out to a uh, previous guest, uh, Andrew Merklinghouse, whose second episode of his look at how to become president mm. goes into detail on what a contested. Um, primary would look like including some information about 1968 so oh, i'm gonna check that che- out though. check out the kings of democracy podcast nice. folks uh to to hear a little more on that as well as uh later episodes of this show if we, as we uh get our information in line but yeah um it, it is definitely a an interesting event when when and and, and very uncommon you know uh typically they kind of get their um uh, order sorted before they get to the convention and the convention is more of kind of uh, essentially a coronation uh, in a way mm-hmm. of uh of their candidate to be so uh contested candidacy uh creates a lot of turmoil and and uh and it's it's basically conducted live on television yeah um, so I was listening to the podcast, the argument, um, and it was very interesting. Like one of the, mm, one of the hosts on there who's on the left was talking about like what would happen if Bloomberg won it, um, versus what if Bernie won it because, uh, um, and I think I even got into it, um, on my wall with one person who's a moderate and me being a leftist of like, no, we don't want Bernie because Bernie is going to make it so that l- moderates don't vote. And I'm like, Really? Really, moderates are like really that dead ass about capitalism that they ain't gonna vote for Bernie. Like, you really want four more years of Trump because of that? I'm mad. <laughs> Which is funny because there are there are pundits that say that if a Bloomberg or Biden get the ticket, that a bunch of people on the far left won't participate because they're gonna feel slighted. Yeah. So so the yeah I know the division of the yeah. uh, the Democratic Party is really kind of showing its its colors right. Well, now. like see, and that's like like what well, that's the one thing that because I did like a roundtable thing with friends where we talked about who we were supporting, and I feel like there's too much like at least in in my own personal anecdotal circles, uh, too many people who are Democrats equate leftism with democrats and i feel as though that like one um i i I need to find like better polls um for this but i've like read somewhere where of the people who consider themselves like say i'm a democrat i'm a republican i'm independent of those three the people who are say i'm democrat is the lowest percentage of american eligible american voters right so when people like Pete Buttigieg was like maybe we should elect a democrat i'm like not all of us are Democrats, but a lot of us are leftists, right? It's like not like all squares are or like what is it? All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares, right? It's that sort of thing. And I think if you're going to be the big tent party, uh, I think you you probably should speak more to like leftist values. And I think a lot of the candidates right now are that do have some progressive parts of their platform. So they are doing that to a certain degree. But I think like if there's one thing that because the DNC is so or it feels like they're so corporate establishment, right? They're so like neoliberal, moderate, let capitalism in the free market fix the problems that we have sort of thing that like anything that gets outside of that will make people go like, well, you're not a Democrat. So why the fuck should I care? Yeah. And, and then that's where like for me being an independent who will, will get off his like, you know, being pissed off, like, because right now I'm a little agitated, like, if there there will be um, a contested convention, uh, especially if there's a contested convention and Bernie has more delegates than anybody else, right? Um, that's what I'm really worried about, because back in, and I'm agitated about it, is because I've told y'all on the podcast, hey, the DNC in 2018 said we're going to change the rules because we understand what happened to Bernie, and and Bernie had um, some, or what did I say, was involved with making those rule changes of saying, like, if you get the number, like, if you get the number of votes needed in order to uh, win the candidacy, 
um, you'll get it. So I thought, like, okay, cool. So if he can get just enough votes, which is uh, uh, 1,991 votes this time, um, it's a little less than it was in 2016, um, he'll get he'll be able to get those votes. Um, but it looks like if you go through the projections from 548 um, that the highest chance of something happening is people not getting um, that number of votes. So then on one of the recent debates when they were asked, hey, uh, what would happen when somebody would get the plurality of votes or like, would you put the person who got the plurality of votes through most of them? Because most of them who probably lean, um, uh, probably in the center of center and leftism, um, were like, no, um, let what basically let the superdelegates decide and the superdelegates do not want Bernie. Right. And, and I, I get it. I don't like it. I, I shouldn't say I don't like it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> but um, well, and and I mean, this was opposed to uh, both candidates um, during like the Sunday roundhouse ta- roundtable uh, talk shows today, and it was presented to Bernie if um, you know if he supported the DNC uh, making a decision if they did make a decision at the. Uh, at the convention using the superdelegates and because uh, they, they basically used a quote of his from 2016 going into the um, democratic convention. And it actually, and, and it was, it was misrepresented a little bit because it actually wasn't going directly into a democratic convention. It was going into uh, the days leading up to the California primary. And he was um, stating that if um, the Democratic powers that be, i.e., the superdelegates, uh, decided that he he it was important to make a change in their vote and and put their um, support behind him. That they should recognize that and allow him to be the candidate. And so now he's had a few quotes this week saying that if he wins the number of delegates, that he wouldn't support that particular system again this year. Um, he basically said in the in the statement today that oh that was in response to the primary i was actually waiting for the primary to be over if all contests are completed i think that should state um that's the candidate and 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 so essentially that we shouldn't play any superdelegate contested convention games um you know and it was also mentioned in the show that originally the original position was to eliminate the superdelegates altogether. Yeah. And that instead it, um, it, it, it like they adjusted the weight of their power a little bit, but there's still 500 of them. And so they still have, there's well, 714 total. Yeah, they still have quite a bit of power. So, well, like from my understanding of it right now is that um of the pledge delegates, um if one candidate gets the total number of pledge delegates they need to score the nomination, which is 1991, then the super delegates should not come into play. Right? Like it, it that that's the rule, but right now because of like the 3 and 5 chance of that not happening, then the superdelegates come into play. Right. And then the, the superdelegates are the ones that will, based on their votes, push the person to uh, 1,991. And, right. And this could be a, a, a mute point with a, a, with an outstanding Super Tuesday for Bernie. It, exactly. Well, yes and no. Um, I think uh, you could probably look this up, in, but I want to say there's approximately... 1300 to 1400 delegates available um for on super tuesday um and then after that all other races are about like 822 delegates up for grabs after super tuesday um so he would definitely need to like you know score uh like like a lot like a whole lot like i don't i don't know because he's, he's he's sitting at fifty eight currently, mm-hmm. with Biden at fifty. So it's, it's which is based it's a virtual tie. Yeah, that that totally is a virtual tie. Going into Super Tuesday, um, yeah, I don't. Uh, <clears throat> with uh, breaking news, uh, Buttigieg uh, just suspended his campaign, so I don't know where his votes will go. Probably they would go to Biden before they would go to Bernie. So, so um, does that happen when you do drop out of the race? Your delegates get resorted. Well, yes. 
and it's up to the delegates, right? Like it, it, it's uh, this is another one where it depends on how the state does it. Sometimes the states, like for the states with the primary, they'll say like um, all of our primary votes go to this person, or like at the primary, it'll say like oh you got above this threshold of votes, so you get this particular amount of delegates, right? But like th- these are th- the reason why they're called pledged delegates is uh, the delegate is a person like you and I. And they can absolutely do whatever the fuck they want, right? Like they can, no, no, dead ass. They can be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna vote for Elizabeth Warren." Go to the convention, and be like, "Oh no, I'm voting for Biden instead." Like they can do that. Like you're not supposed to. You're supposed to have a level of integrity where you won't do that because you're supposed to be a representative of the people, especially at the caucus level um, of going to the convention, like physically going to the convention. Like right. these people physically have to go to the convention, right? Like, yeah. And and they're the ones holding up the signs with their state names and stuff. right exactly and then they say like yeah we pledged as many delegates to them and then that's how like you get to that 1991 total delegates um so yeah it, it's gonna be very I'm, I'm i'm actually in a lot of ways i'm excited to watch um the the democratic national convention this year to see what happens but i'm also like scared um that like it like if the DNC, in better terms, because this is how I personally feels about it, pulls their shit again, you're definitely gonna get Trump for four more turns. Like, like it. But then, like, you have people who are like, "Well, if Bernie becomes the nominee, I ain't gonna vote for his ass." <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, even though I'm upset, and I think the one person out there that I'm still very much like any any blue butt is Bloomberg, right? And yeah, yeah, well, and I mean, and that was talked about in these roundtables, because, I mean, he was a staunch Republican for 30 years. He was, like, a labeled Republican. Mm-hmm. And then he's basically been an independent for the last maybe 15. And then and then somewhere, and out of, uh, according to Chris Christie, which I know is, is you know, a, a not necessarily a, a, a direct pundit, because he is coming from governorship and coming from kind of formally in the pocket of Trump and all that. But... You know, he's kind of outside of politics now, so he's an interesting person to get uh, uh, opinions from. Plus, he, he was from New Jersey and Bloomberg was in New York. But he says that this is essentially a, a marriage of convenience between Bloomberg and becoming a Democrat. That it, it's, it's convenient for him now to, to run as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Like, it, would be, it would be definitely impossible to get any lead way as an independent candidate. And and he's kind of stepped away. But it was interesting, too, because Christy pointed out that it was really only on gun control and climate change that Bloomberg stands out to the left at all. But basically on his economics and his mostly personal politics are all conservative. Mm hmm. Yeah, he's a Republican in sheep's clothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah, he's not like Elizabeth Warren, who used to be a Republican, then did her research and was like, oh, this shit's fucked up, and then became a Democrat. Um, yeah. And that that is definitely a selling point uh, some folks that I've talked to have said about her. Um, and then definitely, like, the thing about Bernie, like, not getting shit done over the course of his, um, time in, in the Senate, um, always seems to come up, but I, I, the way I look at that now is because if people want to speak to that, and if that's one of the reasons why they won't support Bernie, um, I understand, like, the principled idea of getting shit done, but I also think that we're whole grown-ass adults, so we can, uh, look at what exactly people got done, like, how they got it done, and what what impact there was of getting stuff done and and kind of thinking like well should you because a lot of times in the um what's it called in the debates anytime somebody who was to the right of sanders would be asked uh, um in this particular policy proposal uh, would you want to add any like would you want to put this through um and whether it was klobuchar uh Buttigieg, uh warren or biden they would go like yeah because we need something done now and bernie would be like no the shit ain't good enough <laughs> right and so i get it and and i'm wondering like just like 
like i guess i know there's a happy medium because like everything's a negotiation um like what stuff are you going to give up i gave like the very like broad example of like when hamilton gave up the capital uh to go to new york to dc so he could get control of the banks who actually won who actually lost right because that's the type of compromises that happen in congress every day and that's what like klobuchar (laughs) always says she's like i'm the type of person who can make those compromises and i'm like i i but so and i wonder at times because of those things how much like just like the idea of our core politics if you look at it through the overton window or like you know what is policy and what is like you know just the status quo of right now like we're very center right like so if we're if we want to be the party of the left why did all our capitulations go to the other side and and then that's like and that's kind of where i stand with bernie on that and with bernie being like no that's not good enough well okay well yeah you got two two plates spinning there one uh the capitulations happen because uh democrats uh, if i was gonna say us but i i mean i was a green party for 12 years but uh, Democrats are the party of reasonability, and the Republicans are no longer the party of reasonability. So they've been the party of no since Bush won. Mm. Um, where and and you could even go back to uh, the Clinton administration and um, uh, who was the Speaker of the House under the Clinton administration? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, he started the Contract for America. Um, well, uh, Newt Gingrich. Oh, yes. yes. So, so Newt Gingrich kind of created the uh, modern conservative movement and made the Republicans into the party of no compromise. And so because of that, unfortunately, the Democrats trying to be reasonable make these arguments that, in your words, capitulate to the right. But So that's one thing which is just kind of framing it. It doesn't necessarily make it right course of action i'm just i'm just explaining why that's the thing oh no no, totally totally. and then the second plate that's spinning is the bernie sanders uh kind of record if you if you go back even further if you look at the administrations that bernie sanders has served under now uh, i don't know the exact makeup of the congress to give you kind of an idea but from what i understand we've only had democratic majorities during part of clinton's administration and the tail end of uh, Bush going into Obama and the uh-huh. Obama administration early. Uh-huh. And other than that, we've pretty much had Republican Congress and uh, three Republican presidents uh-huh. during Bernie's uh, stint as a uh, senator. So you had his terms under Reagan, you had his terms under Bush one, you had his terms under Bush two, and you had his terms now under Trump. And then only in that time did he have eight years under Clinton and eight years under Obama with an administration that was left-leaning. Of course, uh, both of those administrations being known for centrism, you know, cent- uh-huh. you know, Obama being uh, more of a centrist candidate and uh, Clinton famously coming out of Arkansas yeah. being more of a centrist candidate. So uh, essentially what you have is you don't have a, a, a people to cooperate with, for, uh. you know, and... W- it, you're seeing it in the rising tide of this movement. And and just to kind of uh, tie that into our discussion about the South Carolina primary that just happened, not to like take too much out of that. It's not necessarily the canary in the coal mine, but it, it is one canary in one coal mine. And um, it is an interesting one because of the makeup racially and uh, economically. Mm-hmm. South Carolina, um, lower income state, also, uh, the first majority uh, African American voting block that uh-huh. we've seen so far, and that specific voting block, the African American community, was divided very interestingly in this um, uh, election. So, if you take it as a whole, three fifths of the black vote, as they describe it, went to Joe Biden. Uh-huh. One fifth went to Bernie Sanders, and then the other fifth split between candidates that were still left in the race. Uh-huh. But if you take that and, and, and look into those demographics more specifically, the 18 to 25 bracket, like 70% or so, went for Bernie. Uh-huh. So they're the makeup of that one-fifth of the black electorate. And then everyone who was over 35 went Biden. So that's an interesting kind of telltale sign of who is supporting Biden and who's supporting Bernie Mm -hmm. in the idea that if we're talking about the parties and we're talking about capitulating to the right and we're talking about the movement to the left, clearly the next generation is kind of already taking that stance, Mm -hmm. you know, and... um, 
the 35 year olds, you know, people in my age bracket essentially are, I guess, leaning on Biden to, and, and maybe from that black community also might kind of see it in the same framework of an extension of an Obama era presidency, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, is like, Oh, how can we, can we get eight more years of Obama through Biden somehow? Yeah. Um, which is interesting too, because the Sunday talk shows brought up, uh, the lack of Obama's presence in this entire democratic process so far. He has not um, sponsored any of the candidates and uh, he's had direct communication with Biden and Biden explained it today to Chuck Todd on Meet the Press saying that there, there, he expects the president to support whichever candidate comes out as the winner, of course, and that um, Biden and him had kind of talked about it in the sense that if he had come out for Biden right away, there might have been this guise of Biden not being able to be a standalone candidate. Yeah, I can see that. And so he needs to be able to prove himself as a candidate and then using the windfall, possibly if there is one, of the Obama support to kind of push him over the top. Uh, uh, and so um, he there. that's why we're kind of in the Obama-hesitant moment right now of, of, of pitching towards one or the other. Um, also, you know, an ex-president doesn't want to lean on someone who might lose. So, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, no, that, that makes up a good point because like I'm 34 right now and I turned 35 in June. So I guess as soon as that happened, I should be a Biden supporter. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, when it, when it all, st- <laughs> when it all started, you're, you're 34. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it carries over. Right. So I'm, I'm very much in that like Bernie, but like when I had the, the discussion, cause I'm very much now. And if I said this already, I'm sorry for repeating myself that i am uh 51 for bernie sanders and 49 for elizabeth warren and i'm giving myself like this week to kind of like just have more people convince me because kind of like i understand as you've heard me say before a bunch of times i'm a recovering capitalist <laughs> right and, and i say this because i used to be like you want to make your money you better take your american dollars and take them overseas so you can get more for profit and now i'm like you can do that but should you right and uh, and that's kind of where i'm at right now with like some aspects of capitalism and that's kind of why i like the not burn it because like bernie's not the burn it all down candidate like that's like pure anarchism and i'm not even there yet but some people are um and i think the people who are like more frustrated by the system and more just marginalized and just like socially and economically um are probably (laughs) more in that camp of like burn it all down to the ground right um uh, but but I do understand like where and, and honestly in a lot of ways I would actually make the the capitalists um, defense for social programs and the simple defense of that is uh, if you have social programs that take away the amount of overall overhead costs a person has on their life aka their expenses that ultimately gives them more disposable income and since most businesses you're going to create in this day and age are not going to be essential businesses because you don't have the power the clout or the capital to get into those things you're gonna want to have people to have disposable income yeah right like like a random anecdotal thing like today i bought a quip toothbrush (laughs) that shit is 40 fucking dollars by I the have way, disposable go, fucking income. If you go to buy that quip.com, <laughs> use promo code how you live in to save 15% on your Quip toothbrush. We don't have that sponsorship yet, but maybe when I send them a tape of this promo, they'll give it to us. Right. quip.com, promo code how you live in. Right. So, so it's stuff like that, right? Like like there is you can buy like right now I went to Target and I've gone to Target multiple times in the past few weeks to get stuff for travel and such. Flex, flex. Right. <laughs> and, but no, no, my, my comparison is I bought um, a pair of like super inexpensive um, toothbrushes to have um, here just in case, you know, a friend stayed over hey. and, and they, and they needed to, you know, get ready in the morning and didn't have a toothbrush. That thing cost a dollar. And how does it cost a dollar? It probably was made by prison labor, honestly. Oh, but like, 
<laughs> got dark real quick. I mean, that that that's a part of it. Tom Steyer was like, I'm sorry, invested in prisons. And then I saw it was bad. And it says, no, I'm like, okay, Steyer, okay. Anyway, but... A whole nother podcast topic we'll have to do sometime. It, exactly. But then I bought this other <laughs> one for me because I'm like, oh, yeah, me knowing... Because actually, um, it can go back all the way to when I was a little kid and my dentist said are you brushing long enough? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, you need to brush for two minutes and 30 seconds. And he says, the best way to do this is take a song and listen to it. So as a part of my routine where I have a whole list of songs, I have a song that I brush my teeth to because of that person. And because Quip's claim to fame is we are basically an electronic toothbrush, and not only does the vibrations help you with the plaque and everything like that, it also works as a timer to tell you how long you should brush your teeth for. So, right, so me buying and Equip actually is like based on like you know the historic things that I learned from my past from my dentist of what I should do, but like my point was that it takes, <laughs> it takes disposable income right, exactly. in order to, to 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 get into the forty dollar toothbrush market. I get you. Um, and by the way, guys, he bought it at a store. He did not use a, a fellow podcast code. I did not. Which, you know, is I don't know if you, any of you guys are listening to other podcasts. I assume if you listen to this one, you must. If you're not, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only podcast you've ever listened to. I heart you. You're either my mom <laughs> or someone who needs to explore the wonderful world of iTunes and the additional podcasts out there. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> but uh, with that, a lot of them are sponsored by Quip, and uh, and so yeah, it's one of those things. But yeah, no, disposable income is key, and and um, I think looking at our uh, the demographics and the economics of our people here in the United States, obviously income equality is as you know we were talking about Bernie's history um as as not quote unquote getting anything done one thing he has got done is staying on message yes and income inequality has been his message since mm-hmm. day 1 yeah and that um when i there's that uh i guess I, it was something i didn't know was donahue used to be on the today show well, what in the 1980s before he had his own show phil donahue and he was uh interviewing at the time mayor of um burlington bernie sanders Mm -hmm. and and at the time he was this like it was fresh in the election of ronald reagan all of a sudden this basically declared socialist at the time more so than now like he's tempered it uh, even though he you know now he definitely uses the phrasing of democratic socialism which kind of helps kind of paint the picture it's why everyone compares him to scandinavia is because those are the 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 examples of that type of politics in motion currently mm-hmm. but at the time uh you know we're in the middle of the cold war so the term socialism just immediately makes people think of russia and and he was like no that's uh it, 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 their form of socialism communism is authoritarianism it's 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 oligarchy it's mm-hmm. it's power it's corrupt corruptism essentially and that um his version of socialism is the idea that everyone has a fair shot at it and um, you're not using corporate cronyism, which when the Donahue was kind of trying to give him pushback of why don't you believe in free markets, he goes, no, I, actually, I think the idea of free markets is great, but the country that we live in currently is not a free market. Mm-hmm. He goes, it, the, the powers that be, the corporations, these billion-dollar entities uh, choose the way that the waves are, are made. And, very much so. And w- that very much dictates what boats sink and what boats float. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was interesting hearing that interview. Obviously, you, you know, the new Facebook, you get a lot, you know, we've got all that fake news over these years. Well, we're also getting a lot of, you know, press. Like, uh, you can see old interviews with Trump. You can see old interviews with Bernie Sanders. And um, this is one of those clips that's making the rounds. Um, he stayed on that message. I mean, if you just basically uh, transcripted his statements during that interview, 
you could write March 1st, 2020 on it mm-hmm. because essentially he's on that same message today. Oh, yeah. And and I think that's a that's always been a big selling point of me for him. And yeah, I do think like I always like one of the reasons why I wanted to be able to create media was to like, you know, attack the idea of false information that comes up, especially with the way that Americans like to frame socialism. Like you, you get like there's always this weird logic line where it's like socialism is like communism. And and it's all like, but when I think communism, I think of you know state-run, uh, like regulated market uh, communism, right? Yeah. And communism is technically the opposite of capitalism. But if you were like using Merriam-Webster to define your terms, capitalism is the private ownership of the means of production, and communism is the public ownership of the means of production. But then when you say that, like, when we say public, sometimes we mean the state. Like, the public library is owned by the city, right? It's not, like, owned by the people, right? But so, like, that's that's like when we say, like, owned by the public in communism, it really means owned by the people. It can be the public, like, it can mean the public, meaning the government, which is what Russia was. And then they use that in order to enforce, you know, the... Well, actually, there's other things about it being like, you know, a classless, moneyless society, too. And in order to, like, make sure that they maintained that, um, they uh, they enforced it, right? And then there's also the thing, too, where, like, Bernie's getting hammered on about, like, him praising the literary system of Cuba. And how, like, a lot of things used for fears of socialism are also combined with very authoritarian regimes uh, will create uh, social programs that benefit their, um, like, the people who are part of their country for certain levels of complacency. Like, that happened in Nazi Germany as well, too. So, like, when people hear about that, they think about that and go, I don't want that either. And I totally get it. Right? So that's why, like, there's always the, if you want to put... Um, social programs into a bad light. You call them entitlement programs, right? Because, you know, rugged um, individualism is a main principle um, in conservatism. Or you mix it in with Venezuela, which Venezuela, as we've talked about before, is more about government corruption. And and basically, and at at the same point, the way their uh, socialism was funded is that it was funded by their oil. Yeah, well, they they kicked out Shell and and Chevron and, mm-hmm. and all the foreign oil companies and created a state oil entity, yeah. which if it had been um, rendered for the people would have been a really good move. And it actually enriched the state in a way that those corporations were never going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so that move made sense both politically and economically. Mm-hmm. It's what happened after that money started coming in. The cronyism really took yeah. hold. Yeah. The, and that's uh. Is that Maduro or uh, who? Which one? Oh, I think. It I might think. I think it was originally Maduro. And, yeah. And then now it's his predecessor or his uh, successor. But the, the basically the cronyism continues. Yeah. So like yeah, when you paint broad brushes with uh, socialism, it's very easy um, to like get people um, fearful of it, especially if like you're watching media that isn't like where people aren't going to be critical of what they're watching. Um. So so yeah, like, and I can. Oh, it, it was Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez. Maduro okay. is there now. Oh, okay, okay. There yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so yeah, there's things like that. And like, again, like that's why the recovering capitalist in me supports those social programs, because uh, if you want if you want somebody to do the whole rise and grind, you know, nine to five, work five to nine, build your future like that people like to talk about. And, you know, they're going to do that by, you know, creating a um, creating a product or a service that they're going to sell to people on the open market and do their best to be competitive in that market. Right. Like, have you seen any of the shows that we did? live i have the four hour work week in my bookshelf that's basically what that book is right like so someone like me who ideally would like to pursue that but not feel bad because you know when you have that level of privilege and people can't afford basic commodities uh, why though right and and that's why like my political platform wants to talk about things where you know maybe let's take the profit um motive out of certain things that people need at a certain level and put the profit motive into things that are like inconsequential 
Yeah, and these similar kind of ideals are what uh, led me to becoming a member of the Green Party mm. because in the early 2000s, Ralph Nader ran on an anti-corporation, essentially, candidacy mm-hmm. that he was going to break up the monopoly of corporate control of our economy and um, and that he ran as a Green Party member because he famously is the one who pointed out it doesn't matter if Bush or Gore gets elected, they're the same type of person they're gonna they're gonna have um these corporations in their back pocket and he used the example at the time that microsoft had donated the equal amount of money to both candidates dang yeah dang yeah i mean yeah people do say that like they they are of different shades and um i one of the things that i find interesting is because i want to give her shine because uh, um actually there's a few people i want to give shine i guess I guess technically we should say we're officially in the episode. We've been in the episode right, for 30 like, minutes. I know, but, yeah. I know, right? Like, yeah. it, it just feels like it's episode been Episode 89. Also, a.k.a. our longest <laughs> callbacks ever. Officially. I mean, it's been like a month since we recorded, so there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but But what I was saying is, like, Amy McGrath, who's going up against uh, Mitch McConnell, donate to her campaign, so hopefully we can overtake that Senate seat. Um, I also got an email about, like, there's nine other Senate seats that we can try to vie for to have like you know really good um moderate uh democrat candidates that are running there uh and one of the things i found interesting is like uh, amy mcgrath uh, lives in a community where a democrat can be married to a republican and because she was like my husband's a republican and i was like oh and and that kind of shows you like where we're basically where I see that as a representation of how uh, Bush and Gore are similar to each other, but also not. And also listening to the podcast Pantsuit Politics, where one's a Democrat, the other's a Republican, but you know they have uh, grace filled chats where you know they're able to you know air their grievances and air their differences and about their like core values there and that's sort of why like i always try to differentiate myself where like i'm slowly becoming like more leftist in my values because like i guess if i was more capitalist and i'd be more neoliberal but you know i'm trying to like figure out like who are people who are affected by the current system as it is now in an adverse way and what can we do to help them um and and that's how i'm choosing my presidential candidate which circling back around to the whole bernie warren split so yeah yeah and uh that's funny you mentioned that because in uh what was it back oh james carville famously was married to mary matlin and mary Mm. matlin is the uh she was a political consultant that worked with all the republicans she recently became a libertarian but james carville was always a uh contributor for um uh meet the press as a um uh democratic political consultant he worked under uh bill clinton and uh nicknamed the raging cajun he's the bald guy that bill Hader plays on snl every once in a while oh yeah yeah <laughs> and he says he's like i'm like a snake <laughs> 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 but uh but yeah no that's <clears throat> that's interesting to have yeah like a working compromise within a household can um, can give a, an element of example of how someone can understand another point of view. It, you know, similar, similarly, I, I grew up in what is kind of considered a red area of Washington. And I was always kind of, I was r- raised by teachers and I had my own kind of uh, inclinations towards um, a social left kind of environment, um, anti-corporation and and I and I also saw the need for for social programs and how taxes helped those. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of conservative politics are anti-tax almost immediately, which I get. Like if you're keeping that money and you're actually then creating some type of community collective or something that everyone's kind of personally selecting to donate to mm-hmm. to take up the slack on those things, like creating teen centers and drug abuse mm-hmm. um, centers and like things like that. But when they're not doing that, you need to get taxed, and that money needs to go to those. things. And so, uh, but I I can still know that the there there I grew up around really good people, you know. And despite having those conservative values and things, uh, I knew who they were as people. And so I I could know that if I was in a debate with them or working with them in some like 
candidacy way if they were candidates and I was a candidate, I could see compromises being made because there is a level of respect, which I think is kind of the key to all compromise. And going back to my comments about uh, the Democratic Congresses of of the the, the last 20 years, mm-hmm. um, that there is a lack of respect for the Democrats on the Republican side. I mean, and, and you can see it in, in it rear its head in so many ways, not just by being the party of no, um, by not accepting Obama's uh, Supreme Court nomination. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's 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 multiple ways that um, there. It, and, and I think that's if we look at it, that's where it all begins is you have to respect people, you know, um, the certain candidacy and parties of the past didn't respect um, you know, immigrants didn't ex- respect minorities, uh-huh. and and you know it literally took like active political change to kind of force their hand in those measures, and it didn't change it all the way. You know, there's still uh-huh. still pieces to of Jim Crow laws, and and we still have a president talking about building a wall. Uh-huh. You know, what she's actively doing, and at sh- least in Arizona, and we had Charlottesville, so. You know, we we know that it, it, there are still that those feelings out there. So, um, yeah, I, I hope I hope through through the candidacy and through hopefully uh, the election of, of some form of left candidate, um, we can start to bring respect back to the administration and, and, the, and the executive branch. So. That's true. And I guess there is an argument for the Democrats to play dirty, as I've mentioned on this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's hard. Like, I get it. I mean, I get it because that's uh, Tulsi Gabbard's whole thing. She's all like, yeah. And like Tulsi Gabbard is um, very popular and is always on Fox News because she says she's her thing is like, I reach across the aisle. I talk to them. Right. Like, I want to get stuff done on that side. Right. Right. I'm not calling them bigots and racists and everything like that. And like, you know, denying the ability to talk to them. And I'm like, and I get that. But like, uh, what was that song that says, what have you done for me lately? And I'm like, <laughs> for Republicans, jack shit. Right? Like, and with Democrats, I don't, uh, I mean, there was the uh, Consumer Protection Bureau um, that Elizabeth Warren helped started. And back in the time in my life where I didn't make a lot of money, but I thought I had to keep up with the Joneses, I basically spent too much time getting payday loans. And then the Consumer Protection Bureau, I believe, was one of the leading reasons why now you can only have a maximum of eight payday loans a year. Yeah. Right. And and like payday loans are very uh, predatory. Yes. Yeah. And and it's insane. Like you get a hundred dollars, you have to pay like a hundred and forty dollars back. Like the the next. Time Time and, and it does basically create an Ouroboros of like basically you saying, oh, man, the only way I'm going to be able to keep up with my lifestyle now is if I constantly get this. Right. And and I've gone through that and I, I totally see why it happened. So like big ups to Elizabeth Warren for that. Right. Uh, I guess other things for Elizabeth Warren, because I guess this is me kind of working out like, who do I want to vote for? And for Elizabeth Warren, like she also uh, based on the root dot com and Michael Harriet's uh, basically list of what are specific programs that um, candidates have done for black people or, or, or like to fix things that black people are doing. Like Bernie Sanders came up fifth on that list. And I remember I read a comment where people thought like it was uh, like, you know, anti Bernie propaganda because he came fifth, but no, it was just going by the facts. Like Bernie hasn't laid out any specific goals for the black community. Right. He's done, you know, the over, the over generalized thing of like, I want to help the economically marginalized that black people are economically marginalized at a higher rate than other demographics in this country so by virtue of that it would help them too right um but elizabeth warren i don't remember the specifics of it but if you go to the root.com and look up like you'll you'll see it on their website um in these recent days uh elizabeth warren comes out on top about like you know things like reparations and wanting to just like improve actual the structural things that uh because of historic discrimination and institutional and structural racism have uh, limited black people's access to certain parts of you could say the american dream home ownership and things like that so that is that that definitely like after warren's debate performance and reading that that's what moved her moved me from being like bernie or bust to 
okay, Warren, right? I'm still, I'm still like really butthurt about the Medicare for all thing, but I, I will say that listening to another podcast uh, about the whole thing about her doing the Medicare for all in two steps. And that being and that being like the key criticism of why like I'm not sure I want to get on this bus sort of thing, or as I articulated it the other day of I don't like why you taking a snow route when there's no snow, um, but but like at least like she's still there and she wants uh, people to have affordable um, access to healthcare and all that. So so yeah, it, it's a tough decision. Yeah, and uh, for one-third of the country, as far as the Democratic ticket goes, uh, that selection will be starting on Tuesday. Yeah. With uh, Super Tuesday, and uh, we'll get this out tonight, so uh, some people will be listening to this. Get your ballots in by Tuesday, and if you're one of our local listeners here in the Seattle area, as Chaz said, get it in by the following Tuesday. Yes, sir. Uh, with that, I want to bring up my fun topic of the day. Woo-woo. And uh, I'm going to, I've always talked in the summertime about my fun times in the lake that I like to call float life. So let me tell you about my fun times in the wintertime I like to call snow life. Snow life. And technically, you can use the same inner tube for both. If you've got an inner tube uh, for float life, you probably can use it on decent weather snow days as a kind of a sled-like inner tube. So uh, note to selves, uh, that's a fun little thing. Uh, As Chaz knows, I drove up to Mount Baker today, so I was experiencing a little bit of the snowboard fun. Uh, You know, one of the things about it is uh, you know, you got guys up there who are guys and gals up there who are skiing. You got people who are snowboarding. Uh, few people are utilizing the the old ski with a skateboard on top of it, the snow skate as it is called. Some people are getting a little bit away from the resort in areas where they can sled and or previously mentioned uh, tobogganing. And one of the cool things about um, being up there is a lot of the people are climate minded. Now, we do have to drive to these places, and we are currently using carbon-based fuel machines mostly to get up there, but uh, we've had uh, kind of very interesting winters of note. Uh, this is going to be a mixed bag, happy and not happy fun topic this week, because if you are paying any attention to the Alps this year, um, they've been well below their normal snowfall. Oh, damn. In fact, uh, multiple ski resorts have only been able to open uh, less than a handful of days, and most of them have actually been closed for the last two months. Goodness. And and they are closed due to not only a lack of snow, but an entire absence of snow at times. So you're actually seeing in mid-February, which is normally peak season in the Northern Hemisphere... uh, chairlifts that are completely empty going across grasslands essentially that should be covered in snow damn and so due to this kind of limitation of the sport to uh yielding of a precipitation that is only found at a certain temperature and has to fall and collect and, and then create a base that then holds the additional layers of snow that fall um you find that a lot of the population of people that ski are very climate minded and and so you can you can have kind of interesting discussions on these chairlifts and these gondola rides mm-hmm. and you know the time you might spend in the lodge or waiting in the lift line to get your ticket um that a lot of the people are interested in conservation tactics and and how water is used and the effect that these the skiing has on the, on the natural environment and whether or not there are ways that we can be more sustainable as a sport or what we, For sure. we can do to increase the likelihood that our sport will continue. Because there are certain models of the warming of our planet that would put, you know, the sport of skiing out of business in the next 30 years. Oh, dang. For the most part, except for in certain extreme areas like um, places that have uh, really high uh, elevation mountains might still collect some snow. So... Uh, with that, you know, I just want, uh, you know, people who have the opportunity that disposable income we talked about earlier, Uh it is, it is one of these sports that is, um, it's really hard to access, um, if you don't have a lot of money and, um, 
I would like to hear from some people if they know about any groups or things that are helping people um, underprivileged or without access to either the equipment or the money to be able to do the sport um, that are bringing people up to the mountain. I know these organizations exist, mm-hmm. and, and one could say that I could have done the research to find some, but I would like to hear from our listeners to see if there's any that they know. But I do know that if you do live in an area, to look that up and find out if there's any that you can personally contribute to or volunteer at, or if you're seeking those services or you know someone who could benefit from some time out in the mountain and, and getting that fresh air and getting that kind of exercise. And it's something they've talked about or dreamed about and you know about it. Uh, I do know most metropolitan areas that are near ski areas have some type of organization that does that. Um, and there's a many different ways that people can get to the mountain. When I was living in Portland for a while, uh, there was a guy who um, renovated a biodiesel bus uh. to run on uh, fryer, fire oil. And so he would basically go around to the different restaurants and collect their fryer oil and then filter it to where it was as clean as it possibly could get. And then he would put it in and basically his biodiesel engine would just run it like it was gasoline. Mm -hmm. And for $10, he would take people up to the mountain. Oh, okay. And then um, for a while, he had you could buy your lift ticket from him. I think it was $20 off what you bought it at the 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 hill so you would buy it at the day you got the bus pass pay him 10 bucks and then you get a ride up and he had like a dvd player with a with a tv on there and we'd watch like snowboard movies on the way up oh nice and then just before you got to the mountain he'd put on this little 15 minute uh video about um his program and his plan and how he designed the bus oh and, and that operated for like three or four years and then unfortunately uh due to some kind of regulations about uh limousines and taxis uh they increased the liability insurance requirement and it was going to be several hundred thousand dollars for him to continue to operate oh no it just wasn't quite in the budget for that he had insurance the whole time and it was liability coverage if someone had gotten hurt in an accident or anything Mm -hmm. they would have been covered but the requirements for a commercial enterprise went up dramatically Mm -hmm. and so uh he had to close so those type of things do happen um but it is an instance of someone who's combining both creating access and also creating the wherewithal of, uh, of, of being sustainable and, and trying to limit the amount of carbon footprint uh, while you're still trying to get to the mountain. So, uh, yeah, I just want, you know, I, I, the reason I like it, and I know it's a privilege to be able to go up there, and, and maybe even if you can you know, find a used pair of snowshoes and, and, and get someone that can give you a ride up to the mountains and just snowshoe around. Um, the, the snow setting just in general is, is, is very peaceful and calming. And, and it's interesting too, cause it's kind of, it's survivally, it's similar to float life in the mm-hmm. sense that we're not supposed to be in the water. You know, we're designed to a degree to like be in water, but like we don't live in the water. No, yeah. you know, and we don't live in the snow. You know, like it's trying to kill us <laughs> technically. But and and it's somehow that like using your mind and your skill set to survive while being in kind of a pristine place is is I think I think good for the psyche in a way. I think in a world um, surrounded by social media and screens and and mm-hmm. instant updates and alerts and okay google lights turning on and off and his okay google just beeped when i said that uh and uh and 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 the like uh it it's good to to get away from some of that stuff yeah for sure and and ultimately today when i was up on mount baker there were multiple times where i was completely out of cell service you know Mm -hmm. and and so you know i was on my own man i I (laughs) yeah and by that i was on my own on a mountain with about Five thousand people, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, go out there if you can, and um, and appreciate um, a, you know a, a biome of our planet and uh, and an experience, and also um, something that you know might not be forever. You know, so yeah. Uh, that's my 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 sad but happy interruption of our. Sad but happy topics of uh, of the election. Yeah, you know. You know? So uh, hashtag snow life uh, at a mountain near you. And also, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like growing up, when you're just talking to people, uh, there are several people who've never seen snow. Yeah. You ever have people that move here to Washington and they're from certain parts of the country and they're just like, yeah, I've never seen snow. Yeah, yeah because I've always lived in like you know the, the northern hemisphere and where places where it snows. I'm like. 
Did you say what now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's from Pennsylvania, and I grew up here in Washington. So even though like Seattle itself doesn't snow every year, mm-hmm. lately we've we've been getting at least a day or two where it snows. But yeah, some people come from certain parts of Southern California or parts of Florida, and they're just like literally like I've n- never seen snow, <laughs> like on the TV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, help help someone experience snow. Help yourself to experience snow. Uh, that's my topic. And with that, Chaz, what last things do you want to tell our listeners before we GTFO? Uh, I do want to do a quick political action is lit segment because there is a, uh, we've been talking about the, you know, the presidential race and the presidential race is important. But, you know, the legislative branch also exists and uh, some of the fears that uh, some of the candidates have pointed out and the numbers point this out, too, is that like when it came to us taking back the House, um, uh, the majority of the folks taking back the House were uh, Democratic moderates. Right. So um, that's one of the reasons why they say like those moderates wouldn't vote for Bernie. But when it comes to the Senate, uh, where, you know, we currently have uh, 47 seats uh, or I should say the Democrats have 47 seats, um, there are. 10 uh, Republican seats that are vulnerable or that have vulnerable Republicans. Uh, I don't remember every single Republican that is uh, that representative in that state, but I can tell you the people who are running against them per this email that I received. Uh, Just so you know, I got it from the DSCC. Uh, And uh, so there is uh, Mark Kelly out of Arizona. Um, I believe he has a military background. I've heard some stuff about him. There is Teresa Greenfield out of uh, Iowa. Uh, There is uh, Amy McGrath going up against, uh, you know, Moscow Mitch in uh, Kentucky. We got uh, Jamie Harrison, who is in South Carolina, going after Mr. Lindsey Graham. Uh, Sarah... uh, Gideon in Maine. We have John Hickenlooper, who was running for president, and he's like, no, it's probably better if I was a senator. Thank you, my dude. Thank you. He's out of Colorado. Um, You have uh, MJ Hager, who is running in Texas. You have Mike Espy, who is in Mississippi. You have Cal Cunningham, who is in North Carolina. And you have uh, Raphael Warnock, who is in Georgia. So, you know, that will give me a good place to go through and actually do some callbacks on them to see, you know, what those races can be won, what you can do to help them, Um, especially Amy McGrath and Jamie Harrison being that, like, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell feel like the dragon and the like the dragon being like the five the five dark band this is a weird tv show <laughs> i'm like what are we, where are we going that you don't understand you don't understand where i come from anyway anyway uh, i'm sorry it's but a, it's <laughs> like the, the one true ring and 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 then there's Gollum, but 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 he goes by schmeagol but <laughs> Anyway. The, the ring is his precious. Uh, anyway, yeah, you got to throw it into Mordor. It's a thing, right? <laughs> Basically, they're his like second and third command in a lot of ways, and you know he does a lot of things through them, and they do dictate a lot of what the rest of the party does. So, being able to remove them from office with our votes, and you know, doing the things we can to get people out there, um, looking at what Stacey Abrams is doing with fair vote, and you know, getting that stuff happening, and just like seeing the gestalt of everything that we need to do not only to like you know get trump out of office but honestly save our democracy save the american experiment if if you're about that life then you know keep listening we're trying to give you that gestalt let's save our democracy life um there there's also the folks over at um Crooked Media also have a group of people that they're trying to do for grassroots efforts of trying to, like, you know, get out and, like, get people to vote and give people the access to that, too. So, yeah, uh, if you don't want to support a candidate, like, just do whatever you can, like, whatever you're capable of doing, whatever you have access to, whomever you can talk to and support. Like, let's us all, like, work together. Like, you know, as High School Musical taught us, we're all in this together. Nice, nice. And uh, yeah, participation is how you get your voice heard. So even if you don't like what's going on, you got to participate for us to know what you're thinking. So 
let's get your opinion out there and uh and even if it's just on an issue or on a few other parts down the ballot from the main presidential election at least you're you're making your voice heard so with that we've finished the episode 89 it was 40 minutes of callbacks <laughs> 23 minutes of informative information uh, five minutes about snow. <laughs> uh, as always, uh, you can get a hold of me on the Twitter sphere at C Town Mayor, helping your municipality by the coast. Uh, you can get a hold of the show at our email box on Gmail. It's h y l b o x at gmail dot com. That's h y l b o x at gmail dot com. Chaz, how can they get a hold of you? Find me on the Instagrams at Chaz underscore Baz. Find me on the TikToks at Chaz dash Baz. You know what to do. Yeah, uh, TikToks, uh, home of Chaz and uh, semi-talented singers. <laughs> uh, I did hear recently that uh, the makers of Vine are making a, a new app called Byte, B-Y-T-E. Ooh. So six-second videos may come back. Oh. And it's based here in America, so you don't have to worry about China getting all your information oh. if that was a concern with you and TikTok. Uh, as always, folks, uh, we appreciate you listening to this show. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out again. I did mention them earlier because it was relevant to the show. But give our uh, co-podcast, the Kings of Democracy, a listen. They got some great funny stuff going on. Uh, and see Andrew live, if you're in the Seattle area, at... Uh, the Fremont Troll Farm at Attaball on Fridays at 7 p.m. And listen, as always, to my friends on the All Fantasy Everything podcast and go see them live in L.A. on Fridays at Faded around 7 as well. And I think they start their show with an hour of free beer. Uh, We'll have some live things coming soon someday, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Chaz, it's been fun. Um, uh, Yeah. We out. Yeah. It's been good, Mikel. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. All right. Catch you later. I just made a rolling plane like a landing strip. I'm a 2020 president candidate. I done put a hundred bands on Zimmerman shit. I've been moving real gangsta, so that's why she pick a crit. Shawty call me Chris Cole, cause I pop my shit. Got it out the mud. There's nothing you can tell me. Yeah. We